My name is uh, Keen Kulak. I'm not Brian. I do like banana pudding that Diana makes, but I'm still not Brian. Um, we're going to take a break from Nehemiah today and just step out. I, I realized we just started that a couple weeks ago, but I thought, um, you know, instead of me taking what Brian does and packaging it into Keen, um, which I'm a little smaller than him, so I'd probably stretch out, uh, I, I thought we'd go a different route, but still talking about the power of God and what he can do in our lives, like he was doing in Nehemiah. So we're going to look at God and how that change can go on in our life and what that can mean, and really what second chances are all about. When I was a kid growing up, I used to covet Saturdays. Saturdays were the day that you could watch TV. It's not like today where we've got a DVR in every room and you've got a cartoon channel. You had one opportunity a week to watch cartoons, and it was Saturday morning. And uh, I'd get up at 8, you know, amazing. Saturday, you still get up at 8? Yeah, because it's cartoons. That's, if you're going to see Bugs Bunny, that's your one opportunity. And that was one of my favorites. I, I would love Bugs Bunny. I'd, I'd get up, and every week we'd watch Wile E. Coyote, and we'd watch Yosemite Sam and Daffy Duck. They'd all handle the same dynamite. They'd all handle it. And, and you're going... You're not going to get rid of it in time. You were just working with glue. You know, it, it, it was always the same thing. But we'd watch diligently saying, he's going to get Roadrunner this time. And he'd fail. You know, he'd be crushed. He'd be blown up, whatever it might be. And, and his second chance would uh, quickly evaporate. It, it'd quickly be gone. And it's interesting, you know, Parker is now consumed with watching Looney Tunes. He's filling, he is filling up our DVR, and he's learning the same thing. And, and I've watched some of them with him, and um, I think Roadrunner actually does catch, uh, get, get caught by, um, who catches the Roadrunner? Wile E. Coyote, that's right. I think he gets caught one time, and he has this some remorseful, I've got to let him go moment, and he lets him go, and then of course the rock he launched earlier in the day crushes the coyote. So we, we know how that is, and so he, he throws away his second chance. But the reality is in life, we get second chances all the time. We're given multiple opportunities to start over. And sometimes it's, I've got to just start the test over. Sometimes it's a little bigger than that. Sometimes it's, I've got to restart life over. I, I've hit the ceiling. I've I've failed. And what we do with that second opportunity kind of lays a groundwork for the next phase of our life. I was reading uh, this week about these four skiers in um, Washington State. I don't know if any of you guys saw that report. But there was four skiers skiing out of bounds. And I love to ski, but I, I also like trails. And these people were obviously very skilled, and they were skiing out of bounds. And unfortunately, they got caught in an avalanche. And it was tragic because three of them died. And um, I don't know their spiritual situation or where they were with God, but uh, I know three of them died and one lived. And the one who lived had this amazing device. I don't know if you saw the story. They had a backpack ABS system. I mean, talk about being prepared for whatever might come your way. I, I can't usually find my backpack before I'm getting on a plane to go out of town. Um, 
This person actually went out and spent $600, $1,000, they said, their range in price, to have this inflatable backpack. And so when they see the, and they had this really funny cartoon kind of, well, it wasn't funny because it was tragic, but I should have gotten the pictures. But this person's like skiing down the hill, and then they drew them like looking up the hill at this massive avalanche coming. Like, oh no, I've got a problem. And pressing their Batman button that made this thing pop out of their back. And so they float to the top of the avalanche. Really amazing technology. And so that person has been given that second chance. And so the question is, what are they going to do with it? How are they going to live their life differently because they had what they needed to get past that moment? And that's really what I want to ask you guys today. What are you going to do with the second chances that God gives you in life? There's so many truths throughout Scripture where God takes us and says, hey, this is going to help you sustain you through those difficult times. When I give you something difficult to get through and you have to battle through that, I want to give you what you need to get by it. And I think a lot of times we look at this book and we go, it's like paper book, uh, a paper book theology. Like we, we can buy it in the dime store and it might work or it might not. But what God wants us to see, what he wants to see is that it's not just a paper book back. You know, it's not just a paperback book, excuse me. It, it's life-changing that really gives you those second chances. I grew up in um, a great home, had very loving parents. My mom's here. Um, my dad went home to be with the Lord about a month ago, praise God. Uh, not that he left, but that he went home to be with the Lord. And I had a, a great, great place. Uh, blessed, my parents worked hard, they took care of me. Gave me more than I could ever possibly imagine. Yet somehow in middle school, I I took my eye off the ball, and I started um, getting distracted by the things that this world offers. And it wasn't long before high school came and then college came, and I'm finding my life is filled with drugs, filled with alcohol, and everything that comes along with those things. Somehow, some way, I got into the University of Connecticut, Um, I'm sure that there's a whole host of stories that could go along with how I got in. But I I did a year there, and then after that first year, it didn't go so well from a grade perspective, I thought. I got a letter in the mail, and they said, hey, hey, thanks for coming to UConn for a year. Um, You got less than a 1.2, so why don't you go to school somewhere else? (laughs) Which, I got to be honest, nobody told me that was a requirement. It wasn't on the acceptance letter. It was like, hey, send us your check. We're glad you're coming. Um, Nothing about a 1.2. And so they said, good luck. And my life, who who had clearly been eroding, hit the bottom. I had nowhere to go. I had nothing left. And that's when God stepped in. That's when God said, when you have nothing left, when you're done filling up the calendar, when you're done doing the things that you think are, are going to satisfy I'm going to give you a second chance. And I'm going to give you the ability to change a new life. And that's what he did. He stepped in and he radically changed my life. And he gave me a view that was much bigger than my own, that didn't involve drugs, drinking, and everything that goes with it. It was a second chance. And and that's really what God wants to give each of us today. Some of us have already made that commitment to Christ, and we've got it. We figured it out. Our life has radically changed and we're totally different. 
because of learning God's truth and what it does in our lives. But other of us kind of took that as another just check mark in our lives. And some of us are still exploring. And the great news is, is that God is, is, is interested in every one of us in that journey. But the way he wants to work in our life, he really wants it to be a radical change. This week I was sitting down with some of the guys I meet with, uh, Brett Fair, and I don't know if Brett's here or not. Um, Brett and Rachel, they moved down here not too long ago. And uh, Brett said it the best way I think I could articulate it. He said when God got a hold of his life, he horse-collared him. And and if you watch football at all, um, the horse-collar, is now considered one of the most vicious. It's, it's right behind the head-to-head tackle. I mean, it's where the safety or the cornerback goes and grabs the guy and just yanks back. And he stops right then and there. He's not going another step. It's incredibly vicious. It's incredibly hard. But God stopped. I'm sorry, that guy stops right then. And that's really what God is interested to do in our life. In fact, there's even some danger when he does it. But God is, is, is very interested in a radical horse-collar stop of how we're living our lives and turning so far different from how we were, to, how we were walking. And so we're going to look at one of those people that God has given us in the Word to see how God changed him on the inside so that he might have an impact on those around him. Now, I'm going to give you a couple Q&As, and um, I guess we could do a survey, but we'll see how it goes. Um, Let me tell you the first three things before the change. This person was uh, incredibly smart, learned from some of the best minds in the world. Actually, you already have Acts 9 on the piece of paper, so you know where I'm going. Um, he, He was one of the smartest guys out there. Secondly, he was consumed with killing Christians. Like, I like sushi. This guy likes, he likes stopping the word of God. He likes messing up Christians. And and then, what's really interesting is he was a Roman citizen with all the rights that came with that. So he's not only the highest caliber of Jew, he's also the highest caliber of person at that time. He was a Roman citizen. And as far as Roman citizens go, they had all the rights. He wasn't a slave at one point. He was a Roman citizen. And and so he had everything that came along with that. But he was also a really good tent maker, which I don't know if you guys knew that. So we're we're talking about Saul here. This is Saul at this point. And then God steps in. God says, we're going to operate a little bit differently, Saul. We're going to change your direction. I'm going to give you a second chance. We're going to change you. And so Saul becomes Paul. And the things that describe Saul versus the things that describe Paul, do you know Paul wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books? 13 of them. This is the guy that started out his life as a Pharisee, as wanting to kill Christians. And he then gave us almost half of the New Testament from a book standpoint. Talk about a radical horse collar change. This guy also later wrote in his life, I want to be consumed with Christ. His life was all about being consumed with killing Christians, and his life radically turned to being consumed with Christ. 
And that's the exact same thing that God wants in each of our lives. So before we actually read the word, let me just give you a quick background. Basically, what happened in the early church, which is what Acts kind of outlines, Christ ascends, goes back to heaven. People are going, what do we do next? Holy Spirit comes, bam, superpower. You know, we, we, uh, another cartoon, Wonder Twins Activate. Remember when they touched their rings, older people? Changed a water or a monkey or whatever. Basically, the church was changed. Holy Spirit came, totally different. And um, doors are, you know, people are getting in prison. People are getting out of prison. People are learning about Christ that never would have heard about Christ. I mean, crazy stuff's going on. Lives are radically changed. And this guy, Stephen, who basically uh, the church steps up and says, hey, we got to have somebody that's taking care of our widows, somebody that's a godly guy. And so they elect uh, seven guys, one of them, Stephen. And they're supposed to go out and preach the word as well as care for people. And so Stephen... Uh, he's out, he's bringing it. He is preaching the word. And Saul, Saul gets wind of Stephen. And they're kind of hanging out in the same place one day. And Saul says, uh, I'm actually really mad at you. So we're going to go out here and we're going to each pick up a rock and we're going to whip him at you. Which sounds like something my boys would do. Um, I think they have done that on the trampoline, which adds a whole other variable to it. But, you know, what they basically did is they killed Stephen because he spoke truth. And so Stephen is falling down, and he's worshiping God at this whole time is happening. And he, because he's different. He's had the second opportunity, second chance. He's been changed. And Saul is right there, pleased that this is happening. This is what's happened at this point. This is the Saul we're talking about. And so, you know, here we are. This is what we're looking at from a character standpoint that God's given us. And if you look at Acts 9, verses 1 through 9, it says... Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, verse 2 in Acts 9, and asked for letters for him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that, that, so that if he found any belonging to the way, another what they used to call early Christians, the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell on the ground and heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. I love that part. I mean, could you just imagine these guys? <laughs> they're walking along. Saul's going to get letters to kill Christians. All of a sudden, they're going, uh, what's this one down? You know, they're just stunned. Traveling with them, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. So this is our first truth today. This is the first thing I want to be sure that you guys walk out of here with that you can write down in your paper. God meets us where we are, not where he wants us to be. He meets us where we are, not where he wants us to be. I'm so glad of that in my own life. And I have to ask, for those of you that know Christ, when you think back to that experience where God revealed himself to you. Aren't you so glad that's how it is in your own life? 
I mean, imagine if Saul had to get completely cleaned up. He had to get rid of all the junk before God was going to deal with him. And that's not at all how he did it. God said, you, you're persecuting me. I'm going to deal with that in your life. And we're going to change the whole direction of things. And so God came and met Saul, which is such a great picture of how God works. I mean, think about it. God could be working in one of your lives that don't know Christ, that's here today, that's exploring. And you could be that person that totally changes what the church becomes in the next decade. That's what he did through Paul. Totally changed the whole direction. Or maybe it's the person that's across town that's trying to figure out how to stop a church from meeting in a high school because they don't believe that's right. It should be separation of church and state they have in their mind. Or maybe it's the girl who's just getting back from partying all night long. You see, God is not a respecter of circumstances. God doesn't look on the outside appearance and say, can't use them, can't use her, get cleaned up. God says, I want you. I want you and I want to engage you and I want to use you for a mighty way, to do mighty things. You see, he, he's looking at the heart to change it. And we look on the outside. After I had come to know Christ uh, and I met my amazing wife, Cynthia, caught her in a weak moment. She's still with me. 17 years on Friday. 17 years. Wow, that's amazing. I asked her, did you expect it to be like this? She goes, what, a, a good marriage? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess that's what I'm asking. She goes, yeah. So, I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, of course, Keen, what are you, an idiot? No, I really wanted a bad marriage, an ugly dress. I wanted a trip going down the aisle. You know, I mean, all these horrible, I'm like, so anyways, I, I, I have been so blessed by an amazing wife of 17 years. But, uh, and three boys, they're here too. So sorry, guys, I like you too. But um, we, we had, I had accepted Christ. My life had been changed. We went back to Connecticut. And Drew, uh, little 14-year-old Drew, was in a, you know, one of those carriers. And we, he was not 14 at the time. We, we, we went in, that would be kind of awkward. This is my 14-year-old son. What's he doing in a car carrier? He's heavy, and I work out. You know, kind of switch arm to arm. Um, yeah, you're looking back at him, go, could he fit in a car carrier? So, um, you know, we went back, and, and I'm showing Cynthia my school, and this is where I played. This was my first church, and that's another story altogether. You were doing drugs and going to church? Yeah, it was a different kind of ministry. Um, and and we, we go back to Connecticut, and I'm like, oh, and this is the house I grew up in. And uh, uh, Riggs Ave. And, and then I said, oh, you know what? Let's knock on this door. This is Mrs. Parsons' house. And I want you to meet Mrs. Parsons. I'm sure she's still there. Um, and so we got out of the car and walked up to the door and knocked on it. And Mrs. Parsons opens the door. Now, Mrs. Parsons was the mom of Andy Parsons, who I was friends with all until sixth grade. I mean, we were inseparable. And, and Mrs. Parsons opens the door. And she goes, Keen Kulak. I thought you'd be dead in the gutter. <laughs> like, oh, hi, Ms. Parsons. You know, <laughs> I mean, okay, I guess she really wasn't expecting to see me. You know, talk about being a little surprised. And, and, and that was her view of me. And she, we, we had the opportunity to come in and sit down with her and talk with her and talk about life and introduce my child and my wife. And it was a great time of fellowship. And, and I was able to share with her how God had changed my life. But the reality is, is that the path I was on, what everybody saw in my life, was totally different 
than what God ended up doing. And I know that's exactly what Saul was like. I mean, Saul was going to Damascus to get letters to kill people, to kill Christians. And and God was stepping into his life saying, I got a totally different plan for you. I'm going to grab you here, and I'm going to change your direction. I had no plan when I got kicked out of Yukon to later on be up here on this stage and be transformed by Christ and his power to redeem me. That wasn't in my playbook. And I assure you that Saul's playbook was totally different. He, he didn't realize that God was going to impact him on the inside, change him on the inside, to then impact those around him. Just like he's done in my life, just like he's doing in some of your lives, and just like he wants to do in others of your lives. God wants to change you, not because you're bad, although we are sinners, not that he doesn't like how you look. He wants to change you so that he can then use you to impact others. What a great message. What a great message. And so the question is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the change that God is changing in your life? Are you going to be a Saul? And, and if you turn to verse 20, we're going to jump around just a little bit. Because in verse 20, it says how Saul did it. That even though Saul wasn't knowing that he was going to change, he wasn't looking to change, verse 20 tells what he did with that change. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Continuing in 21, all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Immediately. Not, I got to take a few years and figure things out. I got to decide what's the risk. I got to, Paul immediately, Saul in this case, immediately turned and said, this is the way. And let me just encourage you guys. This isn't me trying to beat you up. This isn't me saying, you know what, you haven't done it right yet. This is encouragement as believers that we've got the power of the Holy Spirit and God going with us into every situation. Paul didn't have anything but his knowledge. He didn't have Christ. He didn't know what was going on. But then he got Christ and immediately he started telling people about it. You guys each have a story to tell. You guys each have a message to bring about how God has redeemed you. How he's changed your life. When you share that, (laughs) that's change. That's powerful change. Not only in your own life, but it's in those lives of the people around you. And so God has changed you so that he might use you to impact others. So then let's talk about some of the people that are looking at some of these folks that are radically changing their lives. Let's talk about what do we see when a Saul comes into our world and go, really? I I love what happens. This is a little bit of the jumping. We're going to go down to verse 13. And this is uh, Ananias. And this is who God uh, tasked to go get Paul. Remember, Saul, sorry, I jumped between the two names. They're the same guy. I'm not... uh, you know, schizophrenic, it is the same guy. Um, God is sending this guy to go get 
Saul. And in verse 13, because remember, Saul's blind. He says, but this is after God's told him to go. Ananias, the guy answers, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how harm he did your saints in Jerusalem, a.k.a. God, you're clearly confused. You don't want me to go see him. I'm a saint of yours. Take care of me. And, God say, and Ananias goes on to say, and here he is the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias is saying, here's the check boxes, God. Let's kind of go through them. Uh, kills people. Yep. Uh, not just people. Here's the second checkbox. Kills saints. Yeah, uh, I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a saint. I have accepted Christ. And then three, he's got letters to keep doing it. So this is really who you want me to go hang out with and get? And God's saying, uh, yeah. Well, hang on. Here's some other people. This is Ananias goes and does that, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, verse 26, jumping down just a little. When he came to Jerusalem, now this is after Saul is getting the message out. He came to Jerusalem. He was trying to associate with disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. <laughs> so can you imagine this? This is like uh, the meet and greet at uh, Northwest. Not that this happens, but I'm saying imagine this happening. <laughs> We're a little better than this, hopefully. But imagine this happening, that, um, you know, this guy is standing there, and everybody's going, uh, no, yeah, he was just on TV talking about how bad Christians are. Hey, no, no, I'm not going over there. You know, that's what, that's what Ananias was saying. That's what the disciples were saying. They're like all over here. No, you eat at lunch, that lunch by yourself. We're going to sit over here. That's what the church was treating Ananias, or che- treating Saul like. But what God was saying is, no, I've changed this person. And so let's make it a little more personable. It's, it's easy to look at the Bible and say, yeah, that was a great story. I'm glad I don't do that. I know I'm so guilty of this time and time again where I look at what God has done in people's lives and the poor choices that the, the people in the Bible made, and I go, whew, didn't do that one. Yet imagine, students, that person who made fun of you on Sunday or Friday because you wore a Christian church or a Christian shirt to school. Or maybe you said or you prayed at lunch. That person who mocked you and made fun of you all of a sudden walks down this aisle and sits there and says, you know what, Saturday I heard the message and I accepted Christ. What do you think of that person? Adults. What about the HR uh, director who comes down and she says, hey, I heard you shared Christ at lunch with somebody. I did. It was awesome. I don't know if they're going to accept or not. Yeah, you're fired, by the way. But thanks for sharing that. Your life has radically been changed by this person. And then they come in to worship with us at Northwest. Do you welcome them? Do you greet them? I know where I'd be. I'd be probably pacing outside the bathroom talking to my wife. I want to kill them. I, I, I do. I think that God would be justified in killing them. If they truly know Jesus, they'll go to see him. You know, I mean, I, I would be justified. I mean, that's what, that's what really Ananias is saying. That's what the disciples are saying. That's a lot of times, unfortunately, how we live our lives. And what God is saying is, listen, I am going to reach people where they are to change them to make them into something different. And that's what he wants to do in each of our own lives. 
And it's dangerous. It's not this safe Christianity. Paul was threatened, beaten, tortured. He lost all his privileges, then gained them back, and that's a whole other story. But the radical life that Paul had to leave and live was because Christ came in and changed him. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to do your job. It's not that he doesn't want me to sell my software that I need to sell. He wants us to do that to the best of our ability. But he wants each of us to also be a lighthouse for him. And that might mean because I did that, I lose my opportunity to sell software. Because he's greater and bigger than that. Real change. And he's going to meet us where we are. So this, this feeds right into that next thing the, that I want to share with you guys. And that God's plan is always bigger than just us. God's plan is always bigger than just us. I mean, I'm sure Saul was climbing the Pharisee ladder. That, that he had eyes on an extra, you know, tassel on his robe. I don't know how they promote Pharisees, but, uh, you know, if it's anything like martial arts, they, they might have gotten, and Dr. Milheim's here, he probably could tell me how they promoted them. But, you know, he, he was climbing the ranks of the Pharisee ladder. And so he was going to get letters to kill Christians. He wasn't going to get converted. But God was looking at him saying, no, this is your view, Saul. This is what you're looking at. And here's what Ananias' view was. And here's what the church's view was to that point. But this is my view. My view's so much bigger. It's so much bigger than anything that you could possibly have in your five-year goal chart. Anybody have a five-year goal chart? All right, good, excellent. Need to have a five-year goal chart. Everybody go home. This is your task, your homework. Get on it. But here's the thing. Whether it's your five-year goal chart, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your ministry, whether it's your school, whether it's your job, whatever it is, God is saying, hey, that's great. I want you to work unto man as though you're working to God. He tells us to do that in Scripture. But here's the thing. Man is not your view. If this is what you're looking at, ah, this is what I want you looking at. I want you to have such a bigger view than what the world is telling you you should have as a view. And so he gives us this great big plan. And so I'm sure Ananias is going, yeah, but he kills people. And then God answers him in verse 15. He tells him, this is it, man. You want to know why, Saul? You want to know why I want to use him? And in verse 15, and I'm going to read it from the ESV just because of some of the translation. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Did you get that? He said, but the Lord said to him, go, he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. You see, Ananias was just seeing the Pharisee killing a guy on a rampage. That was his view. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to change all that. Just, just trust me. Just step out in faith with me. I'm going to change things. Man, did he ever. 
He's saying, he is my chosen instrument. And there's such a great verse. I'll, I'll just read it. You guys don't have to jump there. But in Ephesians 2.10, it really kind of clears up what God was saying here. And guess who wrote Ephesians 2.10, by the way? Paul. What a great, great story that is. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, beforehand that we should walk in them. That whole, that whole verse is great. If you're struggling with who you are and why you have value and if you're worth anything, this is the verse to memorize. But that beginning of it says, we are his workmanship. When I think about workmanship, I think about uh, a masterpiece of art. Think of the Sistine Chapel. I think uh, of some Picassos. Uh, I think of you know, amazing pieces of art that have just rocked our world because they're workmanship. They're so valuable. And what Paul is saying here and what God is saying in Acts 9.15 is that we are his workmanship, that we are precious to him. And, and by being precious to him, he wants to use us for so much more, such a bigger view than anything we could possibly imagine. When I was a kid growing up, I, uh, I had a brother, and I still have a brother, I have two, but he was trying to play the trumpet. And I guess he got okay at it because my parents, they decided that uh, he needed a silver trumpet, which I don't know why he needed a silver trumpet. But anyways, I was seven years younger, I guess, than Kevin. And so they went out and got a silver trumpet for him, and, which every great trumpet player obviously needs to have. And, and so Kevin had this trumpet. And I, I thought, that's a really cool trumpet. My G.I. Joes and Star Wars guys need to play on that trumpet. And so I so desperately wanted to use the shiny silver trumpet to have my guys climb all over. But back then, and this has changed now, my brother could beat me up. And he really can't now. I can take him. And, and so I, I wouldn't touch that thing because he'd, he'd snap me in two. And um, my mom, though, and my dad, the other reason I didn't want to touch it is they said, that's special. We spent a lot of money on that thing. Don't touch it. And then, of course, my brother in a nasty, ugly, older brother way, don't touch it, I'll kill you. You know, you know so, but I, I knew this thing was special because I was told it was special. Let me tell you guys something. God wants to meet you where you are to change you into something so much bigger. And he wants to give you a view to change you to impact others. And each and every single person here is worthy, well, we're unworthy, but able through the, the Holy Spirit, through God's redeeming power to do this. You are special. Eric, you're special. The story, you're special. John McNeese, you're special. All you people in here are special. You're his workmanship. And he created you for something so much bigger than yourself. So much greater than who you are. Because we're transformed, we're changed by him. And that's, that's a great story that we have so much more to bring. So what does that look like? How do we change? What, what happens? Well, everything is available to God. Our calendar? God, what do you want? It says that God is to direct the heart. Man directs the steps, but God directs the heart. 
We are to lay it all at God's feet and be willing to let our calendar, to our, our, our school, our work, everything, our marriage, our, 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 our kids, everything is God's. And that doesn't mean we just willy-nilly throw it up in there. Hey, your responsibility, God. That means every decision we make, we lay at the feet of the cross. And we can't do that on our own. We, we can't just take that power and say, hey, I got God and, and you know, now I'm it. I'm the man. I mean, Paul, as he continued through his ministry, realized he was lesser and lesser and was trying to make God greater and greater. And the way he did that was he carried God everywhere he went. Everything he did was God-focused. The best way I can illustrate it is uh, I think a lot of you guys have smartphones now. Um, I'm using it to make sure I don't go four hours today. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, You know, we all use our smartphones. We seem to carry them everywhere. And I'm tired of the stories of people saying they dropped their smartphone in the toilet. Have some some control, people. You don't need it everywhere. But what God is saying is you do need me everywhere. Another verse you can write down is in... um, Matthew 3.11, it's where John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. What a great picture. John's saying, I can't even carry his sandals. This same word that God used to describe Saul and why he changed him is because he's got to carry my word. And the same thing that he's saying to each one of us is we are to carry his word. We are to carry Christ everywhere we go. And he wants to use you, his workmanship, to do that. What a great picture of what God is doing in our lives. Giving us a view, changing us on the inside to then impact those around us. And and the best way I can describe how you do it is um, imagine um, if you were a hunter. Not my son. Uh, which would be awesome if you were a hunter. I love him very much. But imagine if you're a hunter, you go out and you hunt for things. And uh, you uh, hunt with a bow. Now, I've never hunted at all. And uh, probably people that live near places where you hunt are grateful for that because I'd hit their house. But that aside, um, if you were hunting with a compound bow, a compound bow has incredible power. Because what it does, it has all these pulleys, and it has all these cables. And if you take a regular bow and you pull it back, obviously I'm not an archer, so how it looks, if you guys are archers, you're like, yeah, he'd, he'd snap himself in the face. You know, you know, you pull back, and you've got one band. And that's the power, and you shoot it. And if you've ever been to camp or anything like that and seen a kid shoot a bow, or you were at camp and shot a bow, you know how it goes, mm, you know, kind of, or maybe you have an app on your phone that you shoot an arrow, and you know, it kind of goes down like that. A compound bow is a totally different story. A compound bow, you pull back with that thing. I read this week that a compound bow can have 100 pounds of pressure. 100 pounds. That can shoot an arrow 370 feet per second. To give you an idea, a football field is 300 feet. And so it can shoot an arrow 370 feet per second, just like that, probably faster. That's how quick that arrow is. But guess what that arrow brings to the table? Zero. It's got some pretty feathers, pointy tip, does some cool stuff, but it does nothing. It doesn't fly on its own. If you try and chuck an arrow, if it goes 10 feet, I'd be impressed. 
Maybe it can go 10 yards. I don't know. But it, it, it's not going to go far on its own power. But when you put it in that compound bow and you pull back, that thing can cross a football field in a second. And that is what God wants you to see. He wants you to empty yourself out, to fill yourself up with him, to allow everything in your life to come under the power of the cross, to carry the cross into all that you do, and to be changed, to go from a drinking druggie, kicked out of college kid, to a guy who loves the Lord. I don't know why. I don't know why he did that, but he did. And he's, we've each got a story that he's done something amazing in our lives. And he's transformed it. And it's not by our own might. It is by his might. And he wants us to carry him everywhere we go. And as we do that, as we allow him to change us, as he allows, and this is the big idea that I really want you guys to come out of here with, as we, uh, allow, as we allow him to change us, as we get out of the way, well, then our view goes from this, and we can impact others. So those blanks, just so you can have them. God wants to change you on the inside and then use you to impact those around you for him. His view is so much bigger than anything any of us could bring to the table. And that's exciting. If God has horse-collared you already, and I'm excited. If you're wondering what this whole God thing is about, I'm excited. If maybe you were horse-collared a long time ago, but you've walked off this way, guess what? I'm excited because you're here today. And God wants to change you in amazing ways to impact others. So what do you think? Paul was pretty cool. Saul became Paul. Let's go out. Let's be the Saul's Pauls of our days. Let's be changed, not for our own, not so that we can become Clark Kent, who becomes Superman, but that's the power. It's that big, that raw that God's given us to change us that big. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible promise and truth and story you've given us in Paul that a guy who was so far from you, he was changed. Because he was changed, today we're changed. And what he did is that's available to us. We can have that same power through Christ our Lord, through you, Father. I pray that we would carry you into all we do and that because of that, others around us would be changed as well. We love you so much. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.